Episode 174 of the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you in part by cloud accounting software FreshBooks, offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. When we learn more and feel like we're an expert, uh, we tend to close down to outside viewpoints and uh, we tend to be overly confident in our own viewpoints. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now here's Jeff. This is the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. We talk about leadership, personal development, productivity, career, business, marketing, sales, and entrepreneurship. If there's a great book that's been written on one of those topics, chances are it's going to be featured right here. In just a few minutes, you and I get to sit down with a young lady named Christy Hedges. She's the author of the new book, The Inspiration Code, How the Best Leaders Energize People Every Day. I'll ask Christy to help us learn how to be present for more of our conversations. I'll also ask Christy for some effective strategies for helping us get around overwhelm. We'll talk about the power of outwardly recognizing the potential in others and a whole lot more. Some time ago, it was our sponsor, cloud accounting software FreshBooks, that recognized the power in sponsoring the Read to Lead podcast. And they've been doing that now for well over a year. That helps defray the costs of producing an almost weekly show like this, as you might imagine. And every time someone who listens to the podcast decides to try FreshBooks cloud accounting software free for a month, then FreshBooks says, okay, Jeff, we'll keep chipping in. And that is an awesome thing. So if you've done that already, I say thanks for helping in that regard. If you haven't, it doesn't cost you a thing, and there's absolutely no obligation. FreshBooks doesn't even need your credit card number. It's a free 30-day unrestricted trial. You get access to all of FreshBooks features when you visit freshbooks.com slash read to lead. Be sure to enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section so they're sure to credit the show. Again, that URL one more time, freshbooks.com slash read to lead. Christy Hedges is a nationally recognized expert in leadership communications, and she coaches CEOs and senior executives at leading global companies. Her workshops and keynotes have reached thousands of leaders from the Fortune 50 to the U.S. government to nonprofits. And she also writes about leadership for Forbes.com and is regularly featured in publications like the Wall Street Journal, Entrepreneur, CNBC, and many others. Uh, She is a teaching faculty member as well of the Georgetown University Institute for Transformational Leadership. Uh, She's the author of two books, The Power of Presence, Unlock Your Potential to Influence and Engage Others, released back in, I think, 2011. Is that right? That's right. And her latest book is called uh, The Inspiration Code, How the Best Leaders Energize People Every Day. And of course, that's the one we're focusing on today. Christy, welcome officially to the Read to Lead podcast. 
Thank you, Jeff. I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited, too, for publications like Success. If you're not subscribing to Success Magazine, you need to be because this is how I found out about Christie's book. It might not, I shudder to think, might not have been on my radar otherwise. So thank you, Success Magazine, for, for the heads up there. Uh, Christy, let's begin with a simple, uh, uh, on the surface at least, definition. What is inspiration exactly? And, and are there some, some misconceptions sometimes about that word? Yeah, well, uh, that's that's the million dollar question in a way. What is inspiration? And, and certainly my thinking about that topic changed uh, pretty significantly over the course of years doing research for the book. Uh, so I, I would say that inspiration, to sum it up, is a profound insight uh, with motivation around it. Uh, and, you know, we know when we're inspired, we feel it. We say, well, I feel inspiration. Uh, it's it's more of an emotion or a reaction in a way than a, than a logical response. Uh, but lucky for me, there are researchers who have been studying this for 20 years, uh, really trying to understand what inspiration is. And, uh, and Elliot and Thrash are the researchers that I'm talking about. They're the foremost experts on inspiration. And what they say is that it's actually a few processes coming together at the same time. Uh, there's what they call transcendence, which is an awareness of different possibilities. It's that, oh, wow, I never thought about it that way, uh, kind of reaction that we have. Uh, and there's a receptiveness to it. And, and sometimes this will trip people up. Well, they'll say people just don't seem like they care uh, or they're not, you know, they're not engaged in what I have to say. And it might be that they don't have a receptiveness there. So there needs to be a receptiveness for us to be inspired. Uh, and I, I always use the example of of reading. There are books that I read in my 20s that I thought, huh. Okay, I don't really get it all that much, but it seems okay. And then I read them in my 40s, and I think this is brilliant. Uh, and and that's that's it. Joy, you're receptive at one point, and you're not in another, and so you have just a very different reaction to it. Uh, and finally, their their third piece that comes together is what they call just motivation, really feeling compelled to bring that idea into action. Uh, and that is that kind of burn of energy you get uh, when you're inspired that says, I'm, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do it now. I'm going to get it done. And it, it just, even though you might have thought about it before, it's that that sort of um, push, that energetic push that, that makes you want to make it happen. You bring up such an important point. In my 20s, I read a number of, of leadership and personal growth books that I was just too immature to appreciate. At the, I'm not <laughs> saying that was the case with you, but for, for me, I just didn't appreciate them. And, and, and thanks to folks like uh, Seth Godin and Pat Lincioni and, and John mm -hmm. Maxwell, uh, some books of theirs I was introduced to in my 30s where I was a, a little bit better prepared. It's, it's funny how uh, though some of the same books can hit you differently uh, years later. Yeah, and, and, and that's, that's uh, you know, one of the key things about, uh, we think about with inspiration is that we need to really get ourselves in front of a lot of different sources because mm. we don't know what's going to hit and when it's going to hit. Um, I like to how the chapters are laid out. There's contemplation and then there's time for discussion and then actual application uh, in each chapter. And, and Christy lays the book out as a whole in, into four parts with each part focusing on a different aspect of what she calls the inspire path. And before we, we dive in, talk a bit about how you came to develop this, this model, Christy. Well, it happened a bit by accident. So when my last book came out, The Power of Presence, uh, I was out talking to larger groups and uh, doing keynotes and uh, it, it just, you know, speaking in a, in a broader way. And so as anybody who is in that format knows, uh, sometimes you show up and there's a group that's ready, just eager to hear what you have to say. <laughs> and sometimes it's a Tuesday morning and they're tired uh, and they're just waiting to see what you're going to show them. And, and and so what I started doing in the beginning of the workshops was having this kind of conversational exercise where I would ask people to think about who inspired them and what that person did uh, that made them inspirational in their life. And I let them pick anybody they knew throughout their lives. Uh, and then we discussed it. And so what I was trying to do at the time was, uh, you know, 
put those behaviors around the idea of presence and link those up so it made them real for people. Mm. Uh, but what I found is I kept hearing the same behaviors over and over and over and over again. Uh, and so I started taking notes on them and, and, you know, hundreds and hundreds of conversations hearing about people that were, you know, coaches and teachers and bosses and strangers uh, and family members and uh, you know, colleagues and friends. And, uh, and they all tended to do the same thing. And so that those behaviors really got condensed down into what I call the inspire path, which is a, a way of, uh, you know, really creating triggers in the conversations that you have with others so they're most likely to be inspired and so we've got uh, we've got four stops on this path uh, total i'm going to try to get do these from memory here i'm testing myself there's present there's personal um passionate i think is the third one and purposeful did i get those right yeah nice job you got it <laughs> well let, let's let's uh hone in on the first one part one officially is called present the gift of attention uh so so, so christy what does it truly mean to be present well, it, you know, I would say it means to be focused on the person in front of you and uh, and to do it with an open mind. Uh, and so there, there are two parts of this. And then going, again, going back to the research uh, was that people, you know, said time and time again, that person always made time for me. Uh, they made me feel important. They listened to me when I was in front of them. Uh, and, you know, sometimes people were just so flattered by the fact that this, you know, someone who was maybe three levels above them would just, you know, really focus on them for 10 minutes. It didn't have to be a lot of time, but they felt, they didn't feel that they were talking to someone who was distracted or uh, didn't, uh, you know, really give them the courtesy of their attention. There was something about respect and courtesy that was conveyed uh, when we do that. And, and the open mind piece was really about they, they were, you know, just there kind of curious about me. Uh, they, they weren't trying to game my reaction in any way. They, they just, you know, they, they were there and, and wanted to be focused in the moment. And, and just that act was was very meaningful for people. I spent some time in, in the music business and I remember years ago working with an artist. And one of the, uh, the common themes for people who met that artist was uh, for the five minutes I had with her, she made me feel like I was the only person in the room. Exactly. And, and you know, you hear things like that and people will talk about it with certain politicians, for example, or leaders, how they just have that effect on people. Uh, and it's not as if they're taking any more time. So often people will say, well, I don't have time for that. It's not about <laughs> extra time. It's about how we use the time that we have. So if somebody says, gee, you know, I barely have time to get through my inbox, that's that's not an excuse. <laughs> it's really not. And, and, and listen, you know, I, I tell people not every conversation is an inspired path conversation. Sometimes right. we're just trying to get work done and we're just trading some information all great, all fine. That, that makes the world go round. Uh, but these are different conversations, right? We're, we're trying to make people grow or change or, you know, feel better or, or to motivate them or to show that they're important. Uh, those are inspired path conversations. And we want to just think about this a little differently in terms of how present we are. I, I love the title of chapter two of the book, The Stories We Tell Ourselves While We're Falling Apart. <laughs> uh, Christy, help us understand a bit better better about what we can do to, to deal with things like overwhelm. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And, and I don't I don't in the book uh, give a solution for overwhelm. Actually, right. a friend of mine, Scott Evelyn, wrote a great book called Overworked and Overwhelmed, which uh, which talks about how mm. to get out of overwhelm. Um, but I talk about how to how to inspire people around overwhelm, just knowing that this is where we are. Uh, what can we do? And, uh, you know, one of the things that um, I talk about, it, you know, I, I use a lot of research in the book, as, as you said, and, and try to distill it down and make it practical for people. Uh, but one of the things that, you know, it's a piece of uh, a tool that I 
I use, a piece of advice I have is called a situational attention. Uh, and it's the idea to, to be able to show up centered because when someone's frantic, we can't really calibrate and take in what they're trying to say. I mean, our, our sort of our, our bodies want to get away from it. You know this when somebody comes into the office kind of really stressed and they have this, this sort of heavy energy about them, we avoid them. Right. We, we don't right. want to get sucked, so we say, I don't want to get sucked into that. We have all kinds of words that we use in companies for that. Uh, and so we want to make sure we're not that person and knowing that we might be overwhelmed. Uh, the situational intention is really just taking a pause before an important conversation uh, and being able to ask yourself, you know, what kind of energy do I want to put into this room? Uh, what do I want that person to walk away feeling and then know that that's the energy you have to bring. Uh, and it makes us kind of think about our, our how we communicate on energetic terms, which is really, really important because that's a big part of how we take in someone. Uh, And so if we want someone to feel focused and calm, we can't come in distracted by what happened in the last meeting. Hmm. There's something uh, that I read in the book that I didn't want to, to believe at first. And I'd like to talk a bit about that. It was interesting to me to learn that that we have a tendency to be less open-minded the more successful we become. Can, can you talk about some of the di- dynamics related to that? I know. Doesn't that stink? I mean, <laughs> <does>. yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> Where's wisdom in this whole equation? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's a psychological phenomenon called earned dogmatism. Mm. And, uh, and what they have found in studies is that uh, when we learn more and feel like we're an expert, uh, we tend to close down to outside viewpoints and uh, we tend to be overly confident in our own viewpoint. Uh, and, you know, I use an example in the book about uh, when I was a young entrepreneur in my last company, uh, I got really good at problem solving. And so I was able to solve all kinds of problems that come up. I mean, this is very familiar to entrepreneurs. We learn how to solve problems faster and you kind of replicate our solutions for things. And I was really supremely confident in my ability to solve problems. Uh, however, what happened happened was uh, we started having an innovation problem uh, at the company and we weren't you know, coming up with new and creative ideas for our clients and, uh, and we couldn't fix it. And it didn't get fixed until I realized that I was the problem <laughs> uh, because all of my creative problem solving was basically tamping down innovation. Mm. And, and that's kind of an example that I think entrepreneurs often face or really any leader, uh, you know, we, we try to get to a level of competency in what we're doing, but we have to be very mindful of that. Uh, when we get to that level of competency, we don't shut down uh, outside opinion. Mm. Well, the next step on the inspire path is personal, putting yourself into it, or as, as I like to say, keeping it real. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and the word authenticity uh, gets tossed around quite a bit. Uh, in leadership circles, what what does it mean in, in your view to be truly authentic? And is 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 that something that that we can consciously be thinking about improving all the time? Is that still authentic if we do that? Yeah, that's a question that comes up a lot. So I'm glad that you asked it. Uh, you know, in authenticity, it is a shame that that word has become a bit overused. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet, I would say that I still hear it all the time in terms of what people want from their leaders, and uh, certainly in the examples that I heard in my research, it was very common for someone to say, you know, this person I, I held them in such high esteem. They were a teacher, or a college professor, or you know, a family friend who had just achieved such success, and yet uh, they related to me as a person. Uh, and there, there really is that that human kind of connection that allows us to open up and take in what someone has to say. Uh, so when I think about authenticity, I think about, uh, you know, 
really an alignment issue. So really trying to put in alignment uh, the intention that we have for a conversation or our presentation of ourselves uh, with the perception on the other side that people see you the same way. Uh, so, uh, you know, for example, if I am shy, uh, but I come off as aloof, uh, then I have an alignment problem because I think I'm just coming across as, you know, my natural reserve shy self. Uh, well, not so much. And, and so that's that idea of what, what I call um, in the book and I, and I cite research on this about being adaptively authentic in mm. uh, that, you know, we can try new things and, and, and eventually they might become just a second nature to us as anything else. It's still who we are. So as long as we're not trying things that rub against our value system, um, you know, it's okay to do things that are uncomfortable. Uh, and, and we see this in our careers all the time where, you know, perhaps early in your career, you got really nervous presenting to a group of senior leders. Well, mm-hmm. 20 years later, doesn't make you nervous anymore. <laughs> uh, and so you feel like that's as natural as anything. But you, there were years in there where you really had to push yourself um, to do it more, to do things that made you uncomfortable. And eventually that becomes part of what you what you might consider your natural self. Uh, and so just allowing for that growth within authenticity, I think sometimes helps us uh, expand what we might see as uh, authentic in the first place. So it is then possible to scale that authenticity, if I'm hearing you correctly, right? Yeah. And then scaling is a, a really tough issue that leaders will often face where, you know, they they might be just just a wonderfully authentic person to, to be with, with people who know them and work with them every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in these distributed global companies, they have people who maybe see them once a year mm-hmm. uh, and, and sometimes less than that. And, and so, you know, kind of get into this idea of how do I scale authenticity so that people who don't see me all the time really understand who I am. Uh, and that's that's a stretch for a lot of people. People. And, uh, and we see sometimes uh, new leaders who have a wider span of uh, control and responsibility will struggle with this as they kind of get this, you know, this new skill underneath of them. Uh, but it does require, I would just, I call people, I tell people it's more, it's more of everything. So uh, if you like to tell stories, you need to tell more stories. Mm-hmm. If you like to use humor, you need to use more humor. Uh, and, you know, this idea of being explicitly transparent comes into play uh, where, you know, the research says very clearly that um, we are awful at judging other people's intentions. Mm. And so we get it wrong all the time. And, and so what we need to do that is be very explicitly transparent. Don't assume people understand or know where you're coming from. Just tell them, mm. you know, I, I mean to do this in this meeting. This is why I'm here. Uh, we leave that, that piece out sometimes. I think we feel like it's being, um, you know, too obvious. Uh, we don't want to talk down to people. But in fact, it's very helpful because it puts it out on the table. You bring up a really great point because if, I've seen this time and time again. If somebody else is late for a meeting, our mind goes to, oh, they're lazy or they're unprepared or whatever, a bunch of negative things. Right, uh, but right. if we're late to a meeting, it's like, oh, well, I, you know, I had a last second phone call. I was trying to close a sale. We think of all these you know, uh, legitimate reasons why we were late. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a perfect example. Yes, exactly. Well, talk, if you would, about what you've witnessed in regard to outwardly recognizing potential in other people and how powerful that is. Yeah, and that's probably one of my favorite findings of the book, to be honest. Mm. You know, as people would say, again, in, in the interviews that I did and the conversations that I had, well, this person made me see myself differently. Uh, and that was just such a profound and powerful impact. Mm. Uh, and as I've gotten out and talked about the book, uh, I was just at, a, at a, a corporate event not too long ago, and I was telling a colleague uh, about the book. 
And his first reaction was, oh, well, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. When I was in high school, I had this teacher who said, you know what? You really have a lot of potential as a writer. Uh, and he said, and I never thought of myself as a writer. I thought of myself as kind of a math kid. And so I spent my bus ride uh, every day you know, recrafting these essays uh, that I was that I would have for class because all of a sudden I saw myself differently and it basically changed his career path and became an attorney. And, and this was all because of this conversation that this teacher had had. Uh, and so, you know, the same thing is with, with leaders, with, with anybody really, but leaders have a profound effect on other people is to just really highlight people's potential and to do it very intentionally. Uh, so, you know, most managers know the strengths and the weaknesses of their team members. Uh, and we certainly try to shore up their weaknesses, uh, but their potential, we might mention what they're good at once a year in the annual performance review. Uh, when we right, when we should be taking them aside, having again those really powerful, impactful ten-minute conversations to just spotlight their potential, uh, because you know there's all kinds of research on the Pygmalion effect, which a lot of people have heard about, where we rise or fall to people's expectations. Uh, but it's it's absolutely true. And uh, as I was writing this book, uh, Sidney Finkelstein came out with a book called Super Bosses, mm. and, and I interviewed him for the book, and uh, and that was a big part of his book too. The people who were uh, just the, what he calls super bosses who just really were talent machines, just spit people out. And they just went on and, and started huge companies after that. Uh, one of the main things they did is that they called potential out and they made people rise to that potential. Uh, Christy calls listening the, the quiet influence. I, I like that, that phrase. Can, can you share your insights, Christy, on ways that, that we can train ourselves to be better listeners? Sure. Well, you're listening in, uh, in some research that I did quantitatively in, in the book was the number one most often cited inspirational behavior. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, that one took me back a little bit as a communications <laughs> uh, professional for most of my career. Uh, and and I looked at that and, and thought about it a little bit more. But then I realized what it does is it really is a quiet influence because it creates a space for other people to have insights. Uh, and, you know, the best advice I, I can give to folks who want to work on their listening is to learn how to mind the gap. Uh, and what I mean by that is we have a gap between how fast someone can talk and how quickly we can process mm. uh, and that we can process much faster than someone else can talk. And so we have um, some options for how we use that processing time. What will often happen is we think about our own thoughts, we get distracted, we think about our grocery list, we evaluate <laughs> something and judge, and then we come kind of in and out of the conversation. Uh, and you know, we think we're better at that than we are because we can generally tell when somebody drifts off in a conversation and comes back in. Mm. Uh, we just gotten used to it because we're so used to having those kinds of distracted conversations. Uh, and so, you know, I, I mentioned uh, learning how to shift your listening as a way to really mind that gap and think about how you listen. Uh, and, I, and I won't go through all four of them uh, for the in the interest of time. But, you know, one of them, for example, is to uh, to really train yourself to listen out of curiosity and not to judge. So while we often listen to a conversation to make assessments and judge, uh, when you feel yourself doing that, just like just make, train your brain to just stay curious and just notice what the other person's energy around and what they seem to be curious about and ask questions about that uh, versus rushing to conclusions. And it's a way to sort of train your brain to get out of your own thoughts and into uh, the thoughts of the person in front of you. I frustrate my wife in this area a great deal because I often find myself 
kind of self-editing things I want to say as I go, but I do it all out loud. And she's just sitting there just sighing, like, will you just finish what it is you want to say? <laughs> <laughs> You're taking forever. Uh, yeah. can, can you try your best at uh, maybe summarizing uh, the latter half of the book for us? Sure. So the other two aspects were around passion. Uh, and you know, leaders who inspire us do show they show energy and they bring emotion to the the situation, uh, and they express conviction. We know where they stand, uh, and so I talk there about how to really calibrate our energy to the situation and use it as a tool, and to get comfortable uh, using emotion uh, coupled with logic in terms of how we present an argument or a discussion. Uh, and then the last piece is about purpose, mm. and uh, you know, I. I present a conversational model there about how we can talk about another person's purpose in a way that's down to earth and straightforward and accessible, um, but allows them to really connect dots for themselves to um, find better engagement in their work uh, and more meaning in what they're doing. And so going way beyond the idea of a, a perfect corporate vision or mission statement, this is really about how do we personally help people really discover and live into their purpose in a very accessible way. Well, I mentioned liking how the uh, the book is laid out. I think it makes it very simple to actually take what you've read and you've learned and put it into into practice. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, well, think about the book, speaking of which, that you've read the last uh, couple of years, Christy. What would you say are maybe two or three titles that, that jump out as having had a big impact on you? Well, I love to read. So... Uh, <laughs> It's like trying to pick your favorite children or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if I don't have a book in my face, then something's wrong. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so I, I, I'll give you a couple that I talk about a lot. And usually if I talk about them a lot, that means they've had a, a big impact on me. Mm. Um, one is by Ta-Nehisi Coates, which was In Between the World and Me. Mm. Uh, and I thought that was just uh, that was a mind blowing book for me. Uh, and it's made me think about uh, the world we live in very differently. And so that's uh, it's not often that you have a book that you're forever changed after reading. And that, that certainly was one for me. Um, another one is called finding meaning in the second half of life, uh, by Hollis. Mm. And, uh, you know, as I am in my second half of life, uh, that book was, uh, a, you know, part therapy and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> part deep meditation and a little bit of kick in the pants, um, all wrapped up into one, uh, which was, you know, he's a psychologist and he talks about, uh, these passages that we have, and it really contextualized, you know, what I wanted to do in this next portion of my career. And so, uh, I've recommended that to more people than I could count. Uh, and then finally, I have to add a little fiction because mm -hmm. I do love fiction and uh, The Association of Small Bombs, mm. uh, which is a great book, uh, award-winning book that came out, uh, I believe, this year or last year uh, and based in India and uh, really looks at um, the world from a couple of different lenses. And I love that when, when a book shifts perspective, you think you got it and mm. then you go to a different perspective and you learn a whole different piece of the puzzle. So I thought that was just a beautifully well-crafted and, and executed book. No, great suggestions. Well, in preparation for uh, this chat, I watched a handful of uh, YouTube uh, videos of, of Christy uh, giving talks, some very powerful and effective uh, talks, I might add. And as somebody who does this on a regular basis, Christy, I'd love to know, what are some things you do in preparation for a talk to make sure that it, you're going to deliver an impactful and memorable talk? Oh, gosh. Yeah. So uh, I do a lot of speaking and I'm a work in progress, as we all are. So let me just throw that out there. Uh, you know, so a couple of things I try to keep in mind. 
for myself, um, first of all, that it's always a conversation. It's not a presentation. It's a conversation. And so I try at any, any time that I'm, whether it's, I have an hour or 30 minutes or a full day, I, I really try to, to figure out how do I make it feel like a conversation and use dialogue in any way that I can. I think that's how adults learn. So I, I, I try to incorporate that. Uh, I, I learned a long time ago, one of the best pieces of advice, because I, I get very nervous sometimes when I talk, uh, was to detach your physical reaction from your ability to perform. And, and that's been for anybody out there who gets, finds themselves nervous sometimes when they're in front of groups. Uh, I have found that just to be mind blowing, great advice. <laughs> uh, and that, you know, the physical reaction you have, whether that's, you know, the feeling in the pit of your stomach or sweating or, you know, blushing or, you know, whatever that, that physical physical reaction to stresses, it has no effect on how well you can perform. It's just a physical response. Mm -hmm. uh, and so being able to not make those, uh, you know, a, a vicious circle, mm -hmm. but just separate them, uh, I think is very helpful. So I give that advice to everybody I can, because I think that's just been just wonderful advice. Um, and, you know, I think the other piece I would say is that uh, just knowing the, the research that I, I do in, in my work is that people don't notice what you think they do. Mm. So when I speak to groups, I try to keep in mind that I'm there uh, to connect. I set a situational intention before any talk I give. It might be to connect or get people excited or to be surprising or to make people feel empowered or whatever that is. I try to focus on that um, and then not worry so much about perfection because, you know, perfection is boring anyway. Nobody wants to see a perfect speaker. They want to see somebody who's engaging and real. Uh, I once gave a talk where I realized afterwards my my shirt buttons were misaligned the whole talk and I was mortified and and. Turns out nobody noticed. <laughs> nobody noticed. I know. That's the great thing. So it's such a freeing a concept to realize that most people don't notice the things that we're all spun up about. <laughs> well, I know the book has only been out for a few weeks, uh, but I thought I would ask, what's next for you? Are you and your team working on that next thing now? And if so, what's what's got you really excited? Well, you know, our next thing really is about this book mm -hmm. and, and getting the message out in the world. We're in the, the heat of a book promotion right now, and I believe in the concepts in the book. I think they have relevance, not just for leaders. So it's a leadership book for for people in community, you know, leading communities and projects and programs and parents and for humans. Uh, and, and teachers for humans. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm doing I'm doing a session with educators. And, and I, you know, even though that's not my market, that's not where I work. I, I'm, I'm really passionate about spreading the ideas of the book. So I've got I'm a work cut out for me with that right now. Well, the title of the book, again, is The Inspiration Code, How the Best Leaders Energize People Every Day. I think it's a great one, and you should pick it up uh, today, available right now on Amazon or where you buy your favorite books. Christy, thank you so much for, for your time. I really appreciate it. It's great to be here. Thanks so much. It was fun. Christy's uh, book recommendations include three books I don't think have ever been recommended on the show before, so you've got some, some new reading ahead of you. I'll put links to each of those books in the show notes page for today's episode, along with, of course, a link to Christie's book and how you can connect with her on social media and on her website or even hire her to speak at your next event. Just go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash 174 for episode 174. We are officially at 300 five-star ratings and reviews. 312 reviews total at last count. We got a couple of four-star and three-star. That's okay. But I am so excited to be at that that uh, that number of five-star ratings and, and written reviews. If you'd like to add your rating and review uh, to that list in iTunes, just go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash 
iTunes. You can also review us in Stitcher at readtoleadpodcast.com slash Stitcher. Are you reading a great book you think should be featured on the Read to Lead podcast? Well, let me know. Shoot me an email, jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. Well, that's going to do it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time for the next episode of the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Read to Lead.